Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts, along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. How much opportunity is out there currently for property investors? What will demand on the other side look like and how will US-China relations impact the market? Joining me to discuss this is special guest David Balin, Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director at City Private Bank. David joined City in 2009 and is the architect of the firm's global managed investments platform. Hi, David. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm also joined by Knight Frank Associate, Flora Harley. Hi, Flora. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. So, David, how's your day going so far? Whereabouts are you based in the States right now? Well, as you probably know, we've been based anywhere and everywhere. I've been in New York, Charleston, South Carolina, and right now I'm in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, all working remotely. And is there a curfew currently where you're based as the George Floyd protests are still obviously in full swing? Well, interestingly, there have been curfews in two of the three places that I've been, both in Charleston and in New York City last evening. So yes, it's quite a difficult time. These protests and these social issues are happening at a time when we have literally more than 39 million Americans unemployed. And I do believe that these things are feeding into one another pretty significantly. You said it could actually take about two years, I believe, for the U.S. economy to reach where it was in the first quarter of 2020. I mean, with that in mind, what advice, David, can you give property investors in this current climate? First of all, we are going to see a particular shift, I think, in the use of real estate in different sectors. And so it really depends from an investment standpoint. I'll have one opinion, but from an owner standpoint, another most stressful area is going to be in retail. We're seeing some very significant data to suggest that everything from local retailers to big box retailers are going to have significant trouble adjusting to the new market and very significant vacancies and for owners, very significant rent impacts that are going to begin virtually immediately. So that sector, the retail sector, is under great stress. To a slightly lesser degree, I think commercial real estate will be under stress depending upon who the tenants are and the credit of those tenants. And that's specifically associated with the fact that we consider certain business segments within the U.S. and elsewhere to be deeply impacted. Every company that has to do with travel, every company that has to do with retail, the actual administration, healthcare, education, all of these uses for commercial space are deeply impacted. And so that'll be a second area. There are some beneficiaries. Obviously, industrial and warehouse utilization is up as a result of the changes that have taken place in the economy. And then, you know, specialty uses, you know, whether it literally be amusement parks or, you know, other types of uh, real estate really depend upon how they come back and how the economy comes back. From an investor standpoint, of course, that's somewhat different because when you think about this, this is an opportunity to put new money to work for the repositioning of assets, certainly in the hotel space, a time to acquire assets, whether it be through uh, debtor in possession activity, recapitalization and the like. And so it really depends, but I I do think we're going to see an enormous amount of capital go into the business in a whole variety of ways. But for existing owners, this is a very stressful time. You mentioned the hotel sector. What sort of opportunities do you think that could bring up for investors at the moment? One of the things we're working on at City Private Bank is a pool that's going to really do two things. One is to provide capital to existing owners where properties can be saved from going into foreclosure or special servicing. And the second part of that fund opportunity will actually be to buy property, you know, when it's repossessed by the lenders. We've seen already two extremely large REITs have more than $3 billion of defaults each in the hotel sector alone. And that goes for small hotels as well as large ones. So I think we're going to see a significant amount of opportunity to be a buyer on the other side of this. And one of the reasons why we particularly like that idea is that the pandemic is an exogenous event. 
meaning that it will resolve at some point through the creation of a vaccine, through other you know, more natural means. And at that time, we see the demand for travel picking up significantly after that event occurs. So unlike a normal recession, which has a pattern that goes from you know, deep to, to shallow, this recession, when it ends, will move quickly into a recovery phase for that property class. What about on the commercial real estate side in the office sector? Do you envisage people going back to offices to levels that we saw prior to the pandemic? Or do you think there could be serious changes in behavior there? I think that we've found that there should be serious changes there. What's been remarkable is the degree of productivity increase that we've seen with our bankers and our investment counselors and our clients. Now, granted, everybody is at home and reachable now, and they won't be in the future. When you think about the amount of time that's been saved in terms of commutation and the amount of quality time that we've had talking to clients in our business as a result of these events, I think that people, just like we are on this podcast, are going to be enjoying greater digital connectivity. In terms of its ultimate effect on commercial real estate, I think that will take a longer amount of time because obviously leases take a long time. But whether it's a technology company or, or Citibank, what you're going to see is a rationalization of use where we're going to want to encourage our professional staff to work in the office and out of the office and to potentially work closer to their homes in offices that are satellites or hubs. So that will take time. But I do think that we have learned an enormous amount about what people's preferences are, both from a client and professional standpoint, and also about the benefits associated with having a work from home option. Flora, just turning to the global economic impact, I mean, how bad do you think the impact overall of coronavirus will be? Well, I think it's a little bit bleak, but most forecasters are putting 2020 to be the worst global growth since World War II, and it's likely to be a sharp decline. We've never seen the scale of disruption in such a global and intertwined world. Having said that, it does look to be a big bounce back in 2021 and beyond, even though GDP will remain below that pre-pandemic growth path for some years to come. Luckily, in the world of technology, it means that economies can still function. As David said, he's seen an increase in productivity as people are working from home and reducing their time of traveling to meetings. So we're still seeing a lot of functioning in the economy, which has been supportive of growth. However, with many economies and parts of the economy still closed, consumers aren't out there spending. And with consumers accounting for around 60% of GDP in many economies, it is going to be a big impact. Investment is also being put on hold, which will lead to that sharp contraction. But hopefully we'll see consumers return and consumption in the economy and going out to eat and to socialize and all these sorts of things. As this returns to a more normal level, we should see that sharp bounce back in activity. David, you've described previously in the Knight Frank Wealth Report Asia as an unstoppable trend. Do you think property markets in Europe and the US will suffer long term and lose out to Asia Pacific? Well, Asia Pacific has several benefits that the more developed West does not have. One is a younger population. The second is urbanization, people moving to cities. The third is wealth creation. And the combination of those are driving greater economic growth for a longer period of time for Asia. And that's why we call Asia as a region unstoppable. And so from a real estate perspective, there's no doubt that that is going to be a more robust market for real estate of all kinds for some time to come. The only headwinds that you have in Asia really is the degree to which digital adaptation is going to move more quickly there. And we see that happening at an even greater rate than we do, for example, in Western Europe and some parts of the United States. And as a result, we think that there'll be a maximum utilization, for example, of commercial real estate that will occur more quickly in Asia than it might have otherwise. And we certainly think in retail in Asia, the speed with which e-commerce has already been adopted 
has already impacted the degree of, of retail growth. But what Asia has is a huge benefit because it's not as if they have as much existing infrastructure as Europe and the United States does. They actually didn't have sufficient infrastructure before in terms of real estate. And so the degree to which there'll be overbuilding in Asia x China will be less than there is in the United States. And so I think that will be another advantage that they have. So I consider them to be extremely well positioned from an investment standpoint and from a supply demand standpoint as well. What would be your view of the UK real estate market? Obviously, the UK is facing challenges, as many countries are, due to coronavirus. And we've also got Brexit coming up towards the end of the year. So just wondered what you thought about the London property market currently. We're actively involved in that market right now. And we're involved in that market looking for individual assets and also in the creation of a vehicle to acquire assets there. And I think that speaks to our long-term view that the UK is going to have a very special role to play in Europe as now an independent entity, more independent entity. We think that ultimately, after the separation agreement is reached and the transaction terms are finalized, that the UK will still have enormous advantages as a trading partner around the world and ultimately as a a center of commerce. And as a result, we have a long-term positive view. The other part of this that I would say is that we see the UK as a safe haven for property investors, especially those from Asia, who particularly prefer to own property there. So that's our long-term view. In the meantime, we see prices having already adjusted for buyers. And so we do expect transactions will occur. As you've already mentioned, they'll be benefited by the currency. Because prices have adjusted, we're already seeing buying opportunities take place and our clients are investing in the UK. Flora, turning to outbound and inbound investment flows, how do you think coronavirus will impact the flow of property investment around the world? This is something that we pointed to in our global outlook, and we believe that many markets, particularly in Europe, will see their rebound in residential investment led by domestic buyers first, but international ones will return a few months later. The travel bubbles and travel bridges that are being muted across the region and indeed across the world should aid movement between these regions and allow for more cross-border investment. But these travel restrictions overall are going to impact going forward as people will need to have the ability to access their homes. But technology is also enabling virtual viewings and looking further afield. We could see more targeting second homes that they can reach by rail or road so they can avoid traveling by air. But we're also seeing that potentially people are re-evaluating where they're living as well as where they have their second homes based on where their family are, where their children are in school and all these sorts of things. So we could see more movement around the world because of it. David, we've seen more open hostility between the US and China as a result of COVID-19. What would you say this could mean for investors going forward? A lot of it depends, I think, on the election that's coming up and who's president. I think if President Trump is reelected, then we'll see continued difficult relations between the countries. There are some very substantive and bipartisan concerns related to trade, related to intellectual property, related to transparency and access to markets that I think are substantive and haven't been resolved. They've existed for a couple of decades, and I think that the political discourse in the U.S. is one of the few areas where There's agreement that the relations with China aren't what they need to be. And you saw that in the passage of legislation in the Congress, which would actually support the president's view to some degree. And as I mentioned, that's unusual. In the event that Joe Biden were elected president, I think that the relations would take a somewhat different course because I think the nature of negotiations would be more bilateral and frankly, more global. I do think that engagement with China on the part of the U.S. and Europe as a group or a bloc would be different under a Biden presidency. And I think, therefore, it could be more favorable. 
But what I would say is that this is an issue that's not going to go away because of the concept of deglobalization. And that means that we would expect there to be more local production of goods than there was regardless of how things resolve, especially sensitive issues like technology, you know, pharmaceuticals and the components for making medicines, just as examples, but I, that there are others. The most privileged technologies, I think, will be more locally produced. And so our prediction from an investment standpoint is that you end up in this G2 world, a Western economy with Western values associated with privacy and intellectual property, an Eastern marketplace led by China that has different rules associated with those issues and is now competing with the US and Western Europe and others in the development of that technology. And they will be competing within their own spheres of influence, those that will only buy from them. And then of course, there'll be a, an overlapping sphere of influence. And we think that this G2 world, the development of it, will actually create different opportunities for investors. In some ways, there's less efficiency because you don't have a single global marketplace. But from a competitive standpoint, you have different dominant companies that will win in each of these markets. And you also have an extraordinarily competitive landscape in which to see new technologies developed and rolled out. And I think as a result of that, it will be a diversification opportunity for investors. Flora, what's your take on this? David's effectively redrawn the map. Do you think that this will be very important for property going forward? Yeah, I definitely think it is a key trend. And we've already highlighted it this year in the World Report, which David was interviewed for and spoke about the G2. The deglobalization was already happening. And I think the pandemic and COVID-19 is just going to accelerate that even more as companies reevaluate their supply chains to bring it closer to home. So they don't have this massive disruption if something like this were to happen again. And to finish, David, if you were to pick three areas of the property market you see as being the ultimate opportunities of 2020 and perhaps early 2021, you've mentioned the hotel sector as one, but which other ones would you highlight? I think that there are going to be quite a few areas of opportunity in real estate, depending upon where you are in the world. There is an insufficient amount of residential housing in the United States. We're going to see demand, I think, for single-family homes remain very strong because of demographics of two groups, the millennials and the baby boomers, both of whom want to buy new homes, and there'll be a shortage of land and homes for them. We've already talked about the retail sector. I do think that there'll be a repositioning of retail. There'll be some specialty retails and reopening of restaurants that'll happen. But again, I think that'll be much more on a case-by-case basis, and that sector alone will be under great stress and will reprice as a result. So that's more difficult to predict. We've talked about the idea of leisure and hotels, and clearly that area will have a very significant rebound at a single point in time. And we do see that that area will return to a great robustness. We've talked about industrial and warehouse. We've seen the power of delivery and how important that is. And so that sector, I think, broadly will do well. We've also talked during this conversation about the fact that some commercial users will do well and that there will be suburbanization, you know, of offices moving from cities and outward to be closer to where individuals are, and that'll be beneficial, but that the total demand for commercial real estate, especially in the West and in, both in, in Europe and the U.S., will decline over time. That'll take a while. One of the things that we have been publishing and talking about is that just like in 08 or 09, we think that these are going to be some of the best years for investing in property, just as they were coming out of the last recession. However, when you take a look at the stock market, what you see is that in 08, 09, the technology companies didn't do any different. You didn't perform any differently than regular stocks. But this time, the technology companies have performed extremely well, whereas other sectors of the economy less so. And the impact on real estate is very significant because technology is a substitute in part for some real estate that we have. We've talked about it in e-commerce. We've talked about it in work from home technology. We're doing it right now on the podcast. 
So the question then is, what type of real estate will be most benefited, right? People will want to go to offices. People will want to go shopping. People will want to have experiences, but they'll be different in five years than they are today. And so that, to me, talks about innovation in real estate and what people are going to do with the properties they have, how they're going to position them, how they're going to literally build them or, or actually outfit them. And that, I think, is going to be the area of great excitement, right? Not only just buying them because they're cheap, but also talking about what can be done with them to make them a more valued resource to users. And so it's going to be a particularly exciting time, I think, for owners in terms of their ability to repurpose or enhance the purposes of the properties that they either own or will acquire. And what do you have your eye on in terms of new uses for property from a technological perspective? Let's just take a look at what a mall is going to look like in the future. It's not clear at all that a mall is going to just be shopping. A mall is going to have entertainment aspects to it. It's going to have different reasons why people want to go to it. That was already underway prior to the pandemic and to the recession that's occurred now. Well, now it's going to be very interesting to see how those spaces are used. And it's also interesting that the mall itself, the actual structure of it, will have to change as a result of the anchors that are at the corners of it, You know, some of them going out of business. And so the question, what will go there? right? Will it be other retailers? Will it actually be a combination of residential and commercial? How will that structure be utilized? So I think this is all of TBD, but remember that a lot of our you know, retail, especially our larger retail, occupies incredibly prominent places within our urban and suburban localities. And so that's not going to change. And as a result, we can expect to see a lot of reuse of those properties. So that's what I'm talking about, a, a real rethink about the nature of how people live and what happens as a result of that from a real estate perspective. If you enjoyed this episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information. Mm-hmm.